morning, everybody. That's just for the sake of the recording, because it's easy when um, it's edited to see when it, we start, if I say good morning or if I say let's pray. So that's what I'm going to try to remember to do every time. Difficult. Uh, I've got a cold, as you can hear, and a cough, so um, I expect that's going around everywhere, yeah. And there's a lot of hurting people in the room, so uh, various reasons, various things going on with people. Please pray for one another. Um, just pray, yeah. Ask the Lord, look around the room at the break, not necessarily now, and ask the Lord to put someone on your heart to pray for this week. Um, there's lots and lots of different things going on. And um, I was just speaking to Rosie. I stayed with Rosie last night because we came down. We looked at another office yesterday, premises, and I had various meetings in the afternoon. And um, we were praying today for Mandy, uh, Rosie's daughter, who has MS, and serious, fast-moving MS. And, um, you know, when it's your children, it's worse, isn't it? It's just worse. So... uh, uh, it just we were talking about the fact that we live in a fallen world and that's what happens in a fallen world. In this world, um, disease and pain and sorrow and tears and all of that stuff goes on and God does not promise to keep us from that. If he were to keep every Christian from every bad health situation, the whole world would be Christian. Who wouldn't be? So it's, it's, it, it can't be about that. So if you're reading people or listening to people who tell you that God wants you healthy, I want you to write back to them and say that's just deception. And it does more damage than any other thing. God promises to protect us spiritually through faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that the power of God protects us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. And that salvation will include no sorrow, no pain, no tears, no sickness. Um, and that's what we look forward to. That's what we look forward to. And that's what faith is, is trusting that that time will come and that God will has promised us that time and that's our inheritance. And, and people who tell you that you know that that's all to be had here and now, it's, that's just a lie. And it's a lie from Satan because what it does is it, it absolutely removes the joy of your salvation now because you're constantly feeling... Um, cheated out of something that, that you're supposed to have. You, you feel like God should have done this and should have done that. So it sets you up to be disappointed with God, angry with God, feeling like a failure as a Christian, feeling like your faith isn't strong enough. or you know, And that's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. So um, you know, I feel so angry about how that happens, how people just are fed these lies. Great, huge, massive churches around this world teaching such lies. Um, and, and as I say, it's just such, it's just tragic. It's tragic. So, um, that's my rant for the morning. Um, you know, it's like... Anyway, yeah. And also the, the idea that God gives you certain things, like he's chosen you for this and you for that and you for this. He hasn't chosen you for cancer or MS or depression or this or that. These things are common to mankind. This is what happens because we're humans. We're fallen humanity on a fallen planet and we have these diseases. And that is the direct result of man's sin. 
the original sin, the original rebellion from God. But it is not a direct result of your sin that you don't get cancer because you have been disobedient to God. That is not true. It's just not true. It's not in scripture. You can't find that anywhere. In fact, when Jesus is asked that specific question, he answers it with saying, it's not this man's sin or his parents' sin, but so that the glory of God might be revealed. So again, you know, when you're sick, okay, search your hearts. It's good to search your heart every day, actually, to find out if there's anything in there that makes you wrong with God. That's a good thing to do. But then just whatever it is that comes your way, just understand it as part of a creation that is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And then when you understand it for that, just thank God that he has walked on water to be with you, that he is in your boat, that he has promised nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it is that love, it's that joy, it's that peace that he offers us. It's not not as the world offers it, that's what he says, isn't it? my peace I leave with you not as the world leaves not as the world gives peace I give you peace that is beyond the world's peace so um, yeah so Father thank you thank you Lord that your word is amazing thank you that the truth makes us free thank you Father that we we can know you we can know that you are with us in whatever situation we're in and they're hard situations and they make us cry lord god and call out to you because we can't do go through them on our own we have no idea how we're going to face the day when we wake up in the morning but you are god and you promise your grace is sufficient and that's what we trust lord god we trust that that grace will take us through today so i thank you father that we're here i thank you that we can be with one another that we can pray that we can lift each other up we can be the ones beside each other holding up our arms when when we can't do that for ourselves that doesn't make grammatical sense lord but you know what i mean so father i just thank you that you are god and that we belong to you and that one day we will be home and home will be beautiful and it will be without pain and sorrow and all of those things and in the meantime lord god please help us to hold on to that truth to not believe the lies that are assailing us at every time and to trust that you are holding on to us when we cannot hold on to you, that you won't let us go. And Father, I pray for this morning, for the whole day, Lord, everything that we do, all the conversations we have, everyone we meet, that we would present this reality, Lord, that we know the living God and we have put our trust in him. And and because we have done that, we know a peace that passes all understanding and we have a joy that is not our own but comes directly from our Lord. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you will do it because you have promised and he who has promised is faithful. And I praise you, Lord. I praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Okay, last uh, session, session one, we heard um, the truth about, from the Lord. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Christian. Morning. Um, I am the life-giving, life-sustaining bread of life. That's what we looked at last week. Once you partake of me, Jesus says at the end of chapter 6, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no place with me or in me. And so once you do partake of Jesus, 
Um, he says he will never leave you. He will be with you through all the circumstances and trials of your life. Um, and, and he will be your necessary food. I think I quoted from Job. I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. And, and that's what Jesus will be. He will be the necessary food and water of our life. That's what he promises through John's Gospel. I said to you last week, part, part of the homework was to read um, John's Gospel. Uh, John chapter 6, to read it every day for a week. I hope you did, because you will have seen things on day 6 that you didn't see on day 1. That's just the truth. <coughs> you think you're reading it, you think you know it, but if you keep going over it, you see different things, and God reveals more and more to you. So um, that's the point of Scripture, is to tell us the truth about God That's the and about Jesus. That's the, the whole point of scripture is to lay out, this is who I am, God says, and this is why you can trust me. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And this is what I will do with you. And it's wonderful. That's why we read. We don't read because it's an exercise or an instruction. We read because we want to know God. And if you want to know God, you show him you want to know him if you read it more than once. It's, that's the bottom line. Um, so, if you know the truth about God, what will happen to you? In, G in John chapter 8, Jesus says, um, verse 32, or 31 and 32, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, this is what Jesus says to Jews who have believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's not talking about the gospel message that you hear that sets you free from sin and from slavery to Satan and from, and from darkness to life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a making free, a daily, um, <coughs> deeper and deeper understanding of freedom, what it means to be free in Christ. What does it mean to have freedom? Freedom from what? Freedom how? What does that look like? And that's what he's saying. If you continue in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So we should, all of us, be living a victorious, overcoming life of freedom that's what we should be living. and We will never live, totally live that until we go to be with him. That's another deception, that we can live as Jesus lived on this planet right now. Well, I've got news for you. You can't. You're not God. He was God in the flesh. That's the whole thing. He is God in the flesh. God took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And God says in the Old Testament, there is no saviour but me. There is no saviour but me. So Jesus is God and, and uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. So make no mistake, you cannot live exactly as Jesus lived. You cannot. Even though you might be full of the Spirit, even though you might deliberately every day surrender to Him, ask Him to fill you with, your, with His Spirit, go out with this vision to live for His glory. I'm not saying you can't do more than you can do today if you don't do it, but you can never be God on this planet. And that teaching is a massive deception because that, what that tells you is if you just shape up enough, if you just believe enough, if you just get filled with the Spirit enough, we could change the world. We can change the world. 
That is a deception straight from hell. You will never change the world. This world is going to get worse and worse and worse. We can't change the world. The world is under the control of Satan. It is under the dominion of Satan. Mankind gave that dominion to Satan. Adam and Eve gave it to Satan. And yes, it has been we have been brought out of that by Christ. And the world has been defeated. Satan has been defeated by Christ. But the fullness of that defeat will not be seen until Christ returns. Why would he need to return to a world that all of the Christians has made perfect? That is a teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses. That's not a teaching from Christ. It's a teaching in our church. I know. I know. Yeah. Do you know, it makes me cry. I could cry. I could, honestly, I just can't believe that. It's so, it's such a deception. Yes, you can make a difference in your community. Yes, you can make a difference in your family. Yes, you can make a difference in the world. You can make a difference because you can live like someone who has their hope and their trust somewhere other than here. But you cannot change the world's thinking the world is on a, a slippery slope to hell. You can hold out the gospel message of Christ and, 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 and take ones and twos and fives and tens and five thousands off the road, but you will never save the world. You cannot save the world. And that is a deception from hell. And I'm so, I get so cross with it because it makes us feel like failures. It makes you think you're not doing something right. And it makes you think, it takes you right back to the Garden of Eden. We can be like God. That's what Satan came to Eve with. That God knows in the day that you eat of this, you will be like him. You will be like him. That is the, always the apple or the fruit that Satan holds out. You can be just like God. You can be just like Jesus. You can do everything Jesus did. It's a nonsense. <laughs> Jesus said in John uh, 8, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And um, in John 17, verse 3, he says, um, um, he's talking about eternal life. John 17, verse 3. He says this, this, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is eternal life, that you might know God, um, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Um, it's as you know, as you experience the reality of God and the reality of Christ in your life day by day that you actually experience eternal life. Eternal life is not like this life. It's not like the life that we have now. It's totally other because God is totally other. And all the time we're constantly trying these teachings and deception. They're totally, they're constantly trying to patch up a world that is a mess. Patch up the world, make it better. But God's promised us something we can't even imagine. 
He's promised us a new heaven and a new earth that will be beyond imagining. John can't even write it down in words that we can follow. He's talking about streets paved with gold and, and, and seas that look like sapphire. How can you get that in your head? Why would you want this? Why would you want this? So that's what he says. And in, John, and in Romans chapter 8, sorry, I'm way off track with my notes. I'm not even in the first paragraph, so... Romans chapter 8, 31 to 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And I want you to notice that Paul in this magnificent chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, if you could say it's the peak of the letter to the Romans, here he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, meaning we will face those things. We will face nakedness and famine and peril and tribulation and distress and the sword. But will that separate us? No, it will not. That's what he's saying. Just as it is written, verse 36, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's verse 36 is a direct quote from Psalm 44. And Psalm 44 and Psalm 45 go together. They are two Psalms that you can look at and understand. You do not have heaven on earth. Don't look for heaven on earth. You will never find it. Heaven is not earth. Earth is a dark place that is under the control of Satan. And you have no place in here, in this, on this planet. Your home is there. That is the place you belong. But temporarily you are left here as a witness, as an ambassador to that place, to the king of that place. No, people don't, ambassadors don't come from America to London and try to make London or England like America. They don't, they don't get an office in Regent Street and, and open up the, um, uh, the um, embassy and say, right, from here now, we're going to try and make Britain like America. They don't do that. That, that nobody does that. They just represent their own country in the place they are. That's what we are to do. We are to represent heaven where we are. Represent it. Talk about it. Say what it's like. Live as if you believe it. <coughs> so, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, in all of these things, nakedness and famine and distress and sword and being put to death all day long, in all these things... We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We face terrible things. And, you know, I don't know whether it's a product of my age and that I know people who are older and therefore I know many people who are more sick and dying and... But, th but these things seem to be accelerating to me. We're living in very, very dark times and people are dying all around us. 
Vanessa won't mind me saying, her son-in-law's brother, who lives in Kenya, just was in a traffic accident and died last week. How old is he? 30? Maybe 40? You know, leaving three girls behind, a wife and three girls. You know, a, a man of God. A man of God there. You know, and so her son-in-law's gone over there distraught. This is the son-in-law married to Vanessa's daughter who has the brain tumour. I mean, can you imagine? You can't even imagine it. This Alex going with all of this on his shoulders. And, and then to be told, well, God doesn't want you to be sick and he doesn't want people to die. And, you know, he, he don't, that must be something wrong there. Something wrong with their faith. Something wrong with your faith. Something wrong. It's just, you want to punch them. I do. I want to punch people like that. I want to say, get out of this place. You don't represent God or, or Christ. You don't represent the Christ that I know. This is the Christ that I know. I am convinced that neither death for Stephen, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. You and I belong to God, and nothing, absolutely nothing, that comes our way can separate us from that love. Yes, we can be desperate. We can be in pain. We can have times when we just cannot stop crying. We can go through dark, dark tunnels. But God is always there. He's always there. Even when we don't know he's there, even when you can't even, even think enough about anything to, to put two coherent words together, he's there. We saw that last week. He comes to you when you can't go to him. Those disciples in the boat in John 6, they couldn't get out of that boat. They were in the midst of a storm. They were afraid. So he came to them. And that's what Jesus does. He comes to us and he sits in our boat and he rides out the storm with us. And anyone who tells you anything different, that he doesn't want you to have a storm, that's a lie. That's just a lie. So, Jesus, at the end of John 6, what we came to last week was, I don't just give bread, I am bread. I don't just make the wind stop. I could make the wind stop, but I get in your boat. I get in your boat. And I give you peace in there. So let's go and look at the words in John chapter 6. You will know this because you read it seven times, at least, this week. John chapter 6, verse 20. Uh, well, verse 19, Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. <coughs> Excuse me. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Um, over and over and over again, we are told in Scripture, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And... Um, and God starts in the Old Testament and goes all the way through to the New. So I've got some uh, scriptures. Just write them down if you don't have time to look them up. Exodus 33, um, verse 14. Exodus 33:14, And he said, this is God. He said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is God talking all the time. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Um, when God is telling Joshua, go into this land that I have given you, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 
Um, Second Chronicles 20, verse 15, Hezekiah is afraid of, um, sorry, Jehoshaphat is afraid of um, this army that has come against him. 20, verse 15, and he said, listen, all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Psalm 23, verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's not verse 4, sorry. Hold on. Um, 23, verse 4. Oh, it is. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. This is David. You are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Rosie had a great understanding of that. Rosie, do you want to share what that was? You told me that yesterday. I'll just, you've forgotten to say one thing, Rosie. What she told me yesterday was that we live in the world but, and we walk in the shadow of the world. The shadow of the world is a shadow of death. We're not dead, we're alive because we're with God spiritually. We will be with God. This is eternal life, knowing God and him whom he sent. So we have life, but we walk at the moment in the shadow of death, which is the world. And it was really, uh, you know, I thought it was really great yesterday because that's, that's the reality. We live in the shadow of a world that is dead. And um, but that's what he was saying in Matthew, in uh, John, oh, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Um, Matthew 28, verse 20. Matthew 28, verse 20. Um, well, I'll say 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. And probably we quoted this last week. Uh, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not be afraid. What will man do to me? So um, can you see, hi, Michelle, what God's doing over and over and over again? And these are just a sample. The command or the statement, do not be afraid, is the most repeated statement in Scripture. Do not be afraid. Have no fear. And um, 
what he does is, when God tells you not to be afraid, he doesn't simply issue an instruction, don't be afraid. Because he knows you can't do that. <laughs> don't be afraid, okay, I won't be afraid. Shh, you know. It is, but what he tells you is, this is why you needn't be afraid. This is why not to be afraid. And so he tells you, go to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. We're going to camp out a little bit on Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Um, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, can you see what he does in this verse? He gives you two commands. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. But he gives you five reasons not to be afraid. So it's just amazing. In one verse, he gives you two, two things. Do not be afraid. Do not be fear. Um, and then five reasons. You know, God never just hangs an instruction in the air without a reason. Um, and it is as you put your trust in the reasons that you are able to do what he says to do. Hebrews chapter 4 tells you his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the, the, the purpose of that is that the word of God just actually penetrates. So if, you, if you hear the word of God and allow it to penetrate into your heart, mind, will, um, and accept it and believe it, that word has effect in you and it enables you to do the instruction. The instruction is don't be afraid. But you can't not be afraid of what's coming at you if you don't know all the reasons why. So that's why it's important to know the reasons why. Why is God telling us not to be afraid? Who is this God? Who is this God who has left me on a planet that is full of sickness and dying and disease and tragedy? Who is this God who has left me here? And what has he left me here with? So that's what we want to look at, really. And th there are five reasons not to be afraid. Yeah, go ahead, Jenny. Mm. That's Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. His righteous right hand. Right hand, yeah, yeah. I'd not thought about that, Jenny. Thank you, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's one of the five reasons. Let's say in, there are five reasons not to be afraid in Isaiah 41 verse 10. What are they? What's the first one? I am with you. Okay, what's the next one? I am your God. And the third one? I will strengthen you. I will help you. And then surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So in every situation, this is God's thing. Do not be afraid because God is with me. He is with me. He is my God. Is he your God? He's your God, isn't he? Then you know he is with you. What has he promised to do? In these five reasons not to be afraid, what will he do? No, just specifically, Kim. Yes, he will, but he will strengthen me. He will strengthen me, he will help me, and he will uphold me. What does that mean, actually? Yeah, he's in control, but it means more than... This is really personal, Christian. It's really personal. Yeah, he's in it with me, but what he's saying is, I will give you the strength. I'll give you the strength for today. Get out of bed. I will strengthen you. 
I will uphold you. I will hold you up and I will help you. I will be your help. I will be all that you need when you have nothing of your own. I will do those things. I will do those things. I am your God and I am with you. And this is what I do. This is what I do. I strengthen you. I uphold you. I help you. Um, so how will that apply to your everyday life? Give me some examples. I've got some examples here, but you give me some examples. How will that help you? Not necessarily in the really difficult ones, although that's important, but in the ordinary everyday things. How will it help you? <coughs> Go ahead, Suzanne. To be patient. Why would you be patient? Yeah. Okay, thinking about fear, thinking about fear, do not be afraid, that's what God's instruction is, do not be afraid, why? For I am your God, for I will strengthen you, for I will, so in the fear aspect, how, I, you're, I mean that's right, but in the fear aspect, how will he do it? Vanessa, were you going to say, no, Chris, you were going to say something. Um, I don't know if it comes into fear that much. What was it? Um, I was just Yeah. And she has the choice on Wednesday to come to our Bible study and often she'll say she won't, you know, but he gives her the strength to yeah. come and come in whatever the weather. Yeah. There you go. I think that's yeah. 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 I think the the aspect is the um for us as a family, it's the fear of the future yeah. of all this brother's family. Mm. And you can't imagine how that yeah. will work out. And so we have to stop ourselves and say, But you will help us. Yeah. 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 But if it's fear as well, does it mean that he will be in front of you? Yes. Yes. Yes, with the Israelites. Yeah. 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 He's in front, his grace behind. Go ahead, Rosie. Um, I, I think the fear that I have is I want to comfort. I want to comfort. I want to change the situation. Mm. Mm. But I don't want to Yeah. Yeah. When they're afraid. Yeah. 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 I had some things, you know, when you when you know you've got to give the gospel to someone <laughs> and you're afraid because you don't quite know how they're gonna how they're gonna respond. What's God's message? I am with you. I am with you. Um, if you take a test, I had to go, did I tell you last week, the day before, Monday last week, did I tell you I had to do the driving awareness course because I'd been caught speeding 35 in a 30 limit and on a road I didn't know and there was a camera and well, I didn't know so um, and I thought I was, anyway, no excuses, I was doing 35 in a 30 limit so I had to do this road awareness thing and um, you know, there's not fear in it, but there's a bit of anxiety, you know, what they're going to ask me. And you have to pass their test. You can't just do, go there and pitch up and fall asleep at the back of the room. You have to actually, you know, be a part of that. So um, so something like that, you've got to take a test. You know, your children have got to take uh, GCSEs or they've got to sit their university uh, degree or whatever, you know, whatever. I am with you. I have promised. I am with you. Do not be afraid. Um when you take a stand, when you stand up for something, 
when you take a stand for something against an injustice or when you're trying to explain why something is right and something is wrong and you're standing against the whole tide of public opinion, um, do not... Yeah. Do not be afraid. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. Um, and of course, the, you know, if you've got to have an operation or you're sick or you're, tr you're worried about your treatment or, or you lose a spouse or a friend or a family member, do not be afraid. I am with you. I will strengthen you. Um, so in every situation where God tells us not to fear, we have to overcome a natural human emotion. Fear is, a hu is, is actually a gift. Fear is a gift because fear is the recognition that there's something coming at you that you are not big enough or not able to defeat or get over. But it's a normal human reaction, and I think it's, it is a gift. So when God tells you not to be afraid, the only way you will not be afraid is when your God is bigger than the thing that you're afraid of, when you really trust him to do what he said he will do. Um, and the thing is, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, doesn't come at the beginning of the chapter. It comes in verse 10. It comes at the end of a section where God tells his people about himself. So I want to read those 10 verses and see what it is he is telling his people. Could somebody read Isaiah 41, verse 1 to 10, please? Thank you. Okay, so what's the first thing that God tells us about himself that would enable us not to be afraid? In verse 1. No, verse 1. Oh, sorry, yeah, and let the people go. No, I, um, what does he tell you about himself? I mean, what's he doing in verse 1? 
Listen to me in silence. Let the people gain your strength. Come forward. Let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. If you come to God for judgment, what's going to happen? If the coastlands, if the nations, if the peoples come together to God for judgment, what's, what, who's the judge in that situation? God. God is the judge. So why would you not be afraid? Mm, but why would you, yeah, that's true, that's true. But what about God being the judge makes you unafraid because you've passed through judgment, because his judgment fell on Christ Jesus, because now when he, if he called all of us together, we would stand before him facing the judge of all the earth unafraid because our sins are already judged. But for everybody else, the whole world who hasn't come to Christ, what's the situation? Yeah, but they're going to stand before the judge of all the earth and they're going to have to make account for what they've done. So now take that and apply that to yourself. When you're standing up for an injustice, you said that, Maureen, when we were making a stand, why will that be... Um, why can, what can we take about this judge of all the earth? Why, why does that make you not afraid when you're taking a stand if he's the judge of all the earth? Why? Our sins are forgiven and he'll give us strength. Yeah, but because God, you are making a stand for God, who is the judge of all the earth. You know that he is, is right and just. So when you're making a stand for him, you're standing in his place, as it were. So he is the judge of all the earth. He says what's right and what's wrong. And he's already said to you, you need to make a stand for this. You're mine. I want you to stand up for me for this. So you can know categorically you're right. You are right. And even if the whole world is against you, the God of, who is the judge of all the earth is for you. Do you see what I mean? It's like one day every single person who has ever lived will have to stand before God and make account for their life. Revelation 20, 11 to 15, 11 to 12. Uh, Revelation 20, 11 to 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. One day, every single person who has ever lived will stand before the judge of all the earth and make account for what they have done. Do not be afraid of the person who is constantly attacking you because one day they will stand before the judge of all the earth. Do not be afraid of the sickness that is besetting you do not be afraid of the world and all the ways that it is seeking to destroy Christians because one day the world will flee away from the throne of God. Yeah, burned up. Revelation 20, 11 to 12. Psalm 53, verse 8. Somebody go to Psalm 53, verse 8. The judge of all the earth is the God who collects your tears in a bottle. Um, Psalm, uh, 
I said 53, but it isn't. It must be 56, verse 8. Sorry, 56, verse 8. Yes, you have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Um, One day, God will call to account every single person who has ever attacked you because of the name of Christ. It's an unbelievable statement. It's why God can say, vengeance is mine. It's why he can say, forgive, as I have forgiven you, because one day judgment will come. And if you think that that's too horrible for a Christian to be thinking about, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it's Psalm 56, verse 8, yeah, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, um, Verses 6 to 8, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is a really hard statement. And it's a New Testament statement. So people who say that they don't like the God of the Old Testament, they only want the God of the New Testament, well, take them to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. <coughs> God is saying here, through Paul, that one day he will repay with affliction those who afflict the Christians. And if you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound fair where is this merciful, forgiving God, then you probably haven't been afflicted the way these Thessalonian Christians were being afflicted. The way the Christians around the world today are being afflicted. So make no mistake, God is the judge of all the earth and one day every single person will stand before him for judgment. For judgment. And books will be opened and people will be judged according to their deeds. What they have done. Um, in Psalm 56, where we were, where that you've um, uh, kept my tears in a bottle, or David was a prisoner of war when he wrote this. Go ahead, Suzanne. Yeah. Mm. I think there are books. It, the the um, Revelation talks about various books. Um, I know that there's the Lamb's Book of Life, and then people do say that there's a Book of Life of everybody's name who's ever been born. I don't. I, I think there are probably several books, but we're not told about all of them. Um, no. Lamb's Book of Life. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm in that one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Psalm 56. David was a prisoner of war at the time he wrote this psalm. And he, he had loads of reasons to be crying and to be sorrowful. And he says, but what he says here, that his struggles are written in God's book. And he asks God to put his tears in a bottle. What does that mean then, do you think? Can you really expect God to keep your tears in a bottle? Can you really expect him to have a bottle? Yeah. Well, he was asking him... Hmm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are the events of your life really written in a book? Yes. They are. They are. Yeah. So why would David want God to keep his tears in a bottle? 
God will use them somehow, yeah, maybe. But I think there might be another reason. What's the... Um, for God to remember, for God to remember. I want you to collect every single tear, God, and, and, and put them in a bottle so that when you look at that bottle, you'll remember what has been done to me. Why? Because God is, uh, David is trusting that God is the judge of all the earth and that one day all of these tears will be called to account. All of them. Now, when you think about that, think about all the tears you cry because of your health, because of your children's health, because of the death of your husband or wife or brother or sister or uh, child. Think of all of those tears and think, how will God judge those? This is not people who have come against me. So how will he collect those tears in a bottle and call those that to judgment? How will he call that to judgment? Yeah, that's true, that's true. But the judgment, how will that be judged? All my tears for pain and sorrow and my death of my child and all of those, how will that be judged? No, no, no. I know, but David was saved. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the archetypal Christ. You and I can't understand it because he was a great sinner until we look at ourselves, Maureen, and we see great sin. So that's not it. Why is he going to... How is that going to be judged? Go ahead. Yes, no, but it's not you who will be judged. The tears are not for, for God to remember who you are. The tears are what was causing you sorrow and pain. Exactly. Who's going to be judged? It's Satan who's going to be judged and all his angels. Exactly. What's going to happen to them? Exactly. They will go into the lake of fire where the worm dies not and the fire never ceases. So how, will that, how has that affected you? Because this fallen planet that we live on causes great suffering and pain because Satan is in control of it and Satan will be judged. Um, Revelation chapter 19, uh, chapter 20, Satan is cast into the lake of fire, went to the abyss first and then out into the lake of fire. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, Susan, it's not the right way. It's just that sometimes, you know, you're saying something and, uh, yeah. So, um, it is them as well. It is them as well. They will stand before the God of all the earth. Yes, they will. But I'm th I was thinking about like death, you know, like d um, a child, sickness you know, a tragedy, a, a, a typhoon or a hurricane or something, the damage that that's caused to people's families. And I was thinking about that. You can't put a person in, in specifically. So, um, But what I was trying to get at is it's not just the people. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about the people who will be judged. But, but we know that the, in Revelation 20, those, that verse I just read, earth um, has to flee away. And God will judge Satan, and he will burn up this planet. In fact, he'll burn up the whole universe. So, um, 
so there is judgment. There is judgment for all of it. And that's what David is banking on. And, and what he's not just banking on, he is deeply trusting God. That even in the midst of his uh, trouble, God knows and cares and writes it down. Um, in verse 9 to 11, look what he says. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56. David, in, he's, he's, in the, he's been caught by the Philistines and he's there and he is in trouble. And yet he puts his trust in in God. Um, so, um, what can you, when, when you're thinking about do not be afraid, when you're thinking about all the things that are assailing you in your life and all the difficulties and the trials, what is it about God that, that you can know? Going back to Isaiah 41. <coughs> Never leave us or forsake us. Yeah, he is with us. What else? He will strengthen us, yeah. What, when David prayed Psalm 56, when he called out to the Lord, how did God strengthen him? Psalm 56, he called out to the Lord. Um, he's saying, look, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me, fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Verse 8, you have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day I call. This I know that God is for me. David comes through this. He comes through this crying out to God and he knows, he knows that God is for him. Look what his last verse, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living, in the light of the living. David cries out to God and reminds himself of these truths. So when you read Isaiah 41 verse 10 and God's saying, do not fear, I am with you, you know, we need to be thinking about all of the reasons why it matters that God is with me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He did. He did. <laughs> of course. Immensely difficult. I can't even imagine it, Maureen, can you? I can't even imagine it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's the whole point, Maureen, isn't it? That's the point. That's why I think we should be saying to ourselves, I mean, you and I, we've, we've sat in this room how long? And we've been in, we were up at Eastcombe how long? We've had the privilege of learning the word of God and knowing who God is and hearing him say, don't be afraid. So that when we hit a time in our life, which is really bad, which will surely come, 
we will be able to do as David did because we will already know our God. That's the thing. That's why we need to read the word. Not because you, you can't just pick up a Bible when you're in, a, in the midst of a massive trouble. You know, go to, the, go to Waterstones and buy a Bible because someone said that's good, read that. Because you won't know where to begin. You need to know the word of God. Jesus said, if you are truly my disciples, you will continue in my word. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Free from sorrow, free from fear, free from all of those things. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Of course it's not. It's so hard. But these are the disciplines of people who believe that God is God. Um, you said about prayer, Julia. You know, prayer, it, it's, it's a mystery. <laughs> it's just a mystery. But at the bottom, it's only you coming to God and saying, here I am, God, and I don't know how to pray. So help me. And, and God's saying, it doesn't matter that you don't know how, and it doesn't matter that you don't have the right words. I am God. Um, so, and it's you trusting that. It, it, it is a mystery. But the reality is God is God and he's asking us to talk to him and it doesn't really matter how we do it. Um, David knew God. He knew him and he put his trust in him always. So um, God is a, is a tender-hearted God that we can come to who's a father to us. Exodus 3 verse 7, John 11 33 verse uh, to 35, God weeps with us. You know, that's another thing. He weeps with us. John 11, 33 to 35 is where um, uh, Lazarus has uh, died and he's in the tomb. And Jesus weeps. He weeps at the sorrow that he sees around him. Um, it's important to remember, you know, that, that we have a God who knows and who cares and who does weep with us. Um, um, and suffering will come you know suffering will come we all know that anyone here is a Christian who's lived for much longer than five days knows that suffering comes you know and it's not that God as I said right at the beginning it's not that God promises to take away the suffering it's that he promises to bring you to peace and joy in your suffering um um, okay, our tears are not futile then. So every tear that you cry, God will collect. I love that. Don't you love that? I just love that. I, I just, that he do, he'll remember and he knows and, you know. And when God remembers, it means he starts to act. So the word remember for God is not like us, oh, it's just brought back into our mind. It's that he actually starts to act. And uh, so when you cry and when you remember that God is putting your tears in a bottle, God starts to act as you remember, as he remembers your suffering. How might he start to act? Yeah, n yeah, not necessarily the outward circumstances, but your inward feeling, your inward trust. Okay, so he's the judge of all the earth. What about verse 2 to 3? Who is God? What difference would it make knowing verses 2 to 3 so that you wouldn't be afraid? Isaiah 41. Oh, yeah, sorry. Isaiah 41. <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah 41, verse 2 to 3. 
Yeah. <laughs> what was the question? Yeah. Okay. Isaiah 41 verse 2. What we're trying to do is we're trying to see that Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Do not be afraid, do not fear, for I am God. So what has God told them about in the first nine verses so that he can say in verse 10, Do not fear, for I am God. And in verse 1, he's told them he's the judge of all the earth. Well, he hasn't exactly said that, but he said, Let us come together for judgment. And then in 2 and 3, he tells us something else about himself. What does he tell us in verse 2 and 3? Put them in your own words. Yeah. He is bring Jesus in oh, look, who has aroused one from the east whom he calls in righteousness to his feet and delivers up nations before him and subdues kings? He makes them like dust with his sword as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He's not talking about Jesus here. He's talking about a king that he has raised up. Cyrus is talking about Cyrus, the Persian emperor, who will come and who will allow the captives, the Jewish captives in Babylon, to go back to Jerusalem. And what God's, but even forget, even if you didn't know all of that, what is he saying here? I'm the one who does this. I raise up rulers. I'm the one who brings kings. I'm the one who raises them up, and I'm the one who puts them down. I'm God who's in control. See what I mean? So um, think about uh, Daniel chapter 4. For those who studied Daniel, remember Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar's had his dream and his dream has come true because he hasn't repented. And in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses after he's lived like um, an animal for seven years. And he comes to his senses and he says this. But at the end of that period, this is Daniel 4, 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is who God is. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel has um, prayed and asked God um, uh, for the... uh, for knowledge of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, not just the interpretation of that dream, but that God would tell him the dream as well. And God comes to him and tells him that. And then he prays this. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power." Daniel prays to God because Daniel understands that it is God who raises up kings and deposes them. It is God who works in the um, order of man and in the realms of um, the spirit. And it is God who is in control. God is the ruler of all rulers. So how will that make a difference to you when you're considering not to be afraid? Because God wrote this in this order. Isaiah 41's been written in this order. 
He's told us things about himself so that by the time you get to chapter verse 10, where he says, do not fear, it's like, yeah, of course not. It's a breeze. I'm not fearing. Why would I fear anything? Because this is who you are. There you go. It gives you confidence in his overall sovereignty. So how does that affect you particularly and specifically? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Praised him, absolutely. Even Nebuchadnezzar praised him, a pagan king. Yeah, yeah. You're praising God because you know he's in control. He's in control of history. Daniel 2, um, about 24, I think it is. I'll, I'll get it. 20 to 23, thank you. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God is the ruler of all rulers. He is in charge of history. Every single thing that has happened from the beginning of time till the end of time is in his hands. So why would I be afraid? Why would I be afraid of North Korea having a nuclear weapon? Why would I be afraid of, uh, of, of Trump being the president of the United States? Why would I be afraid of world events when I know that God is the one who is in control of those events? That's what he's bringing. It's like really really personal and specific. Why would I be afraid? Why would I be afraid about Brexit or not Brexit or leaving or remaining or this or that? Why be afraid of that? Why not just stand and say, my God is in control. He is working out his plan for history. And all the things I look at and think, how could that be? He's saying, I'm in control of that. Don't worry about that. I'm in control of that. What will you do in the basis of that? You'll trust him and rejoice and and you will not be afraid. You won't be afraid because whatever looks to be a huge thing in your way is suddenly dispelled because your God is bigger. He's bigger. God is bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. For Daniel, think about Daniel. Daniel's been taken captive to Babylon. He was probably 15. He was then made a eunuch and put in the king's palace. Certain things happened to him. He had to eat certain things and he said, no, I'm not. I'm making a stand because this is what my God tells me to do. And God honors that. And then he's just about to lose his head because Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all the magicians and all the wise men because they can't tell him what his dream was. And Daniel says, wait a minute, I'm going to ask God. I'm going to ask my God. Even that is an act of huge honouring. But he comes and he says, God, you're the one who reveals dreams. You are the one who knows all these things. So tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation. And God does that. Now for you, okay, for you and I, he isn't giving us the dream of, of Theresa May or uh, Juncker or Trump or Kim in North Korea. He's not giving us that. But what he's given us is so much bigger. He's given us the end from the beginning. You know what's happening in history is leading to a point where Christ will return. You know that. You know he's coming. You know that when he comes, everything else will be done. He's going to live and breathe and move on this planet. For a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign. And you're going to be there with him. You know that. What would you be afraid of now? What could come against you now? What king could make you afraid? What nation could bring you to your knees and say, oh, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost? 
Exactly, but that, what I'm saying is, Kim, now now we have to take these verses and we have to apply them to ourselves. And we have to say, okay, what am I afraid of today? What is too big in my life today? What is the thing that I cannot control? What is it that I'm afraid of? And then we have to look at our God and say, you are the God who is the judge of all the earth and everything and everybody will stand before you one day. You are the God who knows every tear that I have cried, every pain, every sorrow, every uh, injustice done to me. And one day you will bring those to account. You are the God who raises kings and deposes kings. You're the God who is in charge of history. I don't care that I don't understand it. I don't care that I can't do anything about it. I only care that you are mine and I am yours and I am safe for eternity. Isn't that the only way we can go on? Isn't it? Really? I mean, what are you in control of? Nothing. <laughs> who said nothing? Nothing. You're not in control of anything. Bad things happen all the time. That's the reality of life. Because we live on a planet that is dark and desperate and decaying. And we can do nothing about that. But what we can do is live. What does David say at the end? I will walk with you in the light of the living. We can walk in the light of the living because we're alive in Christ. We can walk in that light. That's what I want Isaiah 41 to do for us. I want us to look at these verses and say, okay, he says don't be afraid. How can he say don't be afraid? How can he remove my fears, my giants, my, my difficulties? How can he do that? And he's telling me in this chapter, I can do that because I'm in charge of history. I can do that because one day I'm going to sit on my throne and every person is going to stand before me. I can do that because Satan has reached the end. I can do that because I've defeated Satan and I've defeated death. And all the people that you love who have already died, who knew the Lord Jesus, are with him now. I can do that because I'm God. That's why, what we need to know. We'll take a break. <laughs> we'll take a break. We've only got two things. Oh, we're not going to get through it all, but anyway, there you go. So, Father, we're on the recording and we want to say thank you for this first part this morning and thank you for what you will do now. Thank you, Lord, that you remind us all the time of who you are and that we just have to pick up your word and see it and trust who you are and, and make that applicable to our own lives, to turn it into things that we, you know, not turn it into, but understand that you're telling us things about our own life, um, about you and how you will make a difference to our own lives. So we thank you for it, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're still in Isaiah 41 then, and we are, uh, we've, we've read the first three verses, and God has told us that he is, um, uh, what has he told us? He's the judge of all the earth, and he is the ruler of all rulers. He is the one who raises kings and deposes them. And then you come to Isaiah 41 verse 4, um, who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth from the forth the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. So what is God telling us about himself here? What's he telling us about himself? Yeah, he's eternal. Yeah. His greatness, yeah. 
But he's specific here. He's very specific. He's been specific. I'm the judge. I'm the the raiser and deposer of kings. I'm the first and the last. I am the creator and the sustainer of all things. I am the one who created things, calling forth the generations from the beginning. I am the God who does that. I am the Lord. I am the first. And with the last, I am he. I am Jehovah. I am Jehovah, the self-existent God. I need nothing and no one to exist. I existed before all things. There is no before or after with God. I am. I just am. I am the self-existent God. Um, he is the uncreated God, which means he was there before the beginning and he will be there after the end. There is nothing that... Um, is created, that he did not create. And he is uh, calling all the nations of the earth into being. That's what he's saying. Calling forth the generations from the beginning. Mm. No, but that's what I'm saying. He's, but there'll be an end to this life, there'll be an end, and there'll be an end to this planet and to this dispensation, if you like, this time. Um, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's what he calls himself. I am everything in me. I am the self-existent God. Now, um, in John chapter 1, remember, that should bring us to John chapter 1 because um, John writes in, in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So he, Jesus is the uncreated one, and he will be here, there with the last, and he is when he has accomplished everything he's going to accomplish. Um, yeah, he is the author of history. He is the writer of the whole thing. He is everything, and he existed before and after and during, and he is he is. Now, what difference does that make to you? What difference does that make to you? That God is the creator of all things, that he sustains all things, that nothing came into being without him putting it in being. What difference does that make to you? It's yeah, it's comforting. Yes, yes. This is a God who is outside, outside of everything we know. This is a God who is outside of all the difficulties and the trials and all the things that we see that are hu humongous are nothing to him because he's outside it. And he, he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Look at what he says in just <coughs> probably on the same, on the other page in your Bible, verse 25 of um, Isaiah 40. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of, his, because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Look at what God is telling us about himself in order to be able to say to us, do not be afraid, do not fear. This is the God who strengthens and upholds you. He is the God who called 
forth the stars and gave them all names. This is the God who strengthens and helps and upholds you, the one who tells you not to be afraid. Um, so he is the self-existent God, the creator and the sustainer of all things. He is the God who is God most high. He is God. I can't say it enough in so many different ways. He is that God. He is the judge. He is the ruler of all rulers. He is the self-existent God. And he is the God who's telling you not to be afraid. And there's more. There's more. Look at verse 5 of five to 9 of um, Isaiah 41. <coughs> Someone read those verses? Isaiah 41, 5 to 9. Thank you. Okay, let's just take the first couple of verses. So verse 5 to verse 7. What is God saying about, what's he talking about there? Verse 5 to verse 7. Yeah, but why are they doing that? Yes, that's true, Maureen, but why are they doing it? How does he begin? They're afraid. They're afraid and the ends of the earth tremble. The coastlands are afraid and they tremble. So what have they done because they're afraid? No, not exactly that. That's true, but what, but what have they actually done? They've actually made their own gods. They've made their own gods. They're not turning to other gods. There are no other gods. They have made their own gods. Do you see what I mean? So they have made gods who will do what they want them to do. And exactly. And that's what God's saying. Look at what they've done. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter, and he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. So he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. They're basically making their own gods, idols, and they're saying to each other, look at this. <laughs> this is the god. Bow down. Do this. Don't be afraid. Be strong. They're making their own gods because they're afraid. And it's ridiculous. It's just totally ridiculous. And that's what God's saying. He's saying, you know, but you, and then he goes on to say that you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Opposite this kind of picture of self-reliance and making your own gods and so that you won't be afraid of other things, he's presenting himself with the reality that he is God. He's God, and I have chosen you. I've chosen you. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to um, Israel. I chose you. Go ahead. One of the most remarkable things I find is that all the millions and millions of people 
I know, I know. Praise God. Praise God you can't. I can't either. He, what he's saying here is that I chose a nation. I chose you and made a nation. Because he's talking to Israel. He's saying, Israel, whom I have chosen, Jacob. Um, who, sorry, you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. So he's basically speaking to Israel. Because Isaiah 40 begins the second half of, of, of Isaiah's prophecy, which talks about the coming back to the land. This is the prophecy. The first 39 chapters are about why they will be judged and how they will be judged, Israel. And then 40 through 66 are about pretty much about how... God will bring them back to their own land. So it's a picture of this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. And I can do this because I am this God. I am the God who made all things. I am the God who judges all things. I am the God who deposes and lifts up rulers. And here he's saying, I am the God who chose you, who chose you and hasn't rejected you. So um, uh how are we going to apply this to ourselves then? Because he's definitely talking about Israel as a nation. So how does this apply to me? How can I make the application to me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can make application because God has applied it to me. He has applied it to me. In the New Testament, in Jeremiah 31, he, he talks about the way that this cov new covenant is going to come. And then he takes in the New Testament the truth about that new covenant that he will make with Israel, that he's alluding to here, I have chosen you and not rejected you. And in the New Testament, he applies that to me as a Gentile so that I can know that the truth about this applies now to me. And it's important that we understand it because... Um, not every single person in the whole world is chosen. Not every single person in the whole world is Israel. Not every single person in the whole world is a child of God. That is another deception. You are not a child of God simply because you live. You're not. You are a child of God when you are in his family. And you are only in his family when he chooses you and you choose him. It is. So... Where did God apply these sorts of things to me? Where did God tell me that he chose me? Where, yeah, where? Where did he tell me that? Is it, no, where does he tell me in his word? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, we have to know, we have to know. When you tell somebody, when you take an Old Testament passage like Isaiah 41 and you say, God says, don't be afraid because he's chosen me. And someone reads that and says, but he's talking about Israel. What will you do? <coughs> so you have to say, he's, he's, he's told me he's chosen me. Um, and Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. And when you're starting to think, yeah, but it doesn't say my name there, come down to verse 13. In him, you also, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him him with the Holy Spirit of promise 
who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You who believed in the Lord Jesus were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with God himself who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So you can now say, I am a person who's been chosen by God. You can't... Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? But also, if, um, Kim, what, what you have to think, I think, is that the, the way he chose is through the gospel. So he gave everybody the ability to choose. Many don't. No, no, of course not. So but what's he saying in Isaiah 41? What are you actually saying? What What is God telling uh, Israel and what is he telling us? Yeah. Do not fear for I am with you. How does that apply to me? Because his spirit is with me and he promises never to leave nor forsake me. Mm-hmm. Because you can, you can say to yourself, okay, um, has God chosen me? How do I know I'm chosen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Isaiah 41 is basically a list of who God is. This is who I am. I'm the creator and sustainer. I'm the ruler of all the earth. I'm the one in charge of history. I'm the one who chooses and doesn't reject. I am this God. And so... How does that apply to me? Well, this God came to earth as a human being, lived and lived my life, died my death, offered me life in him. So that's how it applies to me, that it's this God who did that. Um, okay. Um, so when did God choose you? Same place. In it, he chose you before the foundation of the world. What did he choose you for? Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he probably chose you for a lot of things, but Ephesians chapter 1 tells you that he chose you to be holy and blameless before him. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. So there are two things. He chose us to be holy and blameless, and he predestined us to adoption as sons. How did you come into the family of God? By believing in Christ, yeah. And what do we call that? When What does the Bible call that? Salvation, being born again. How are you born again? Yeah. What happens when you're born again? You're filled with the Spirit. Where's the adoption in that? It's not there. The adoption is not there. Being born again is a different thing. I mean, it's all simultaneous. Don't get me wrong. But but. Paul uses, God through Paul gives us two cast iron things. He says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You were, um, he doesn't say it here, but he'll tell us in other places that we are born again. We are born again. Jesus will say uh, to Nicodemus, um, no one, you have to be born again. And Peter will say, you're born again by the living and enduring word of God. That's in First Peter chapter 1. So two things have happened to you. You've been born into the family through the Spirit. 
right? And the second thing that has also happened simultaneously is that you have been adopted into that family. Why does that matter? Why does being born, why is being born into that family not enough for God? Why did he want to tell us we were all so adopted? Yeah, but there was a Yeah, there was a specific thing in Roman law when that was written that if you were adopted, you could never be unadopted. You could be disinherited if you were a person born into a family, but you could never be disinherited if you were adopted. So can you see what God does? It's just the most amazing thing. He wants us to know absolutely categorically that there is no way you can lose this salvation. You are born into the family because now you have the Holy Spirit within you. In a way, you have a, you've had a blood transfusion. You haven't, but you know what I mean. You've got the blood of Christ now also in you. So you, his blood covers you and you're now part of the family. But you also have been adopted. So all of the things, legal requirements that are, tr- are needed to, for you to get your inheritance have all been made sure. I love that about God. I just love that about God. There's no wiggle room here. Go ahead. You could be, if you were just born into the family, under Roman law, you could be disinherited. I mean, and we see it actually in the Hebrew law, you know, where the oldest child is supposed to get the double inheritance, but they could be tricked out of it as Jacob and Esau, and there was no way to go back on it. So I think what God wants us to make sure is that there's no way... There's no possible way that you're not going to get this inheritance. So on top of all of that, you've been born again, you've been adopted, and on top of all of that, what's happened? You've been born into the family, you've been adopted into the family, and also, you know it, you've received his spirit, the pledge of his inheritance, the seal of his inheritance. Is there any possible way that you could get out of that arrangement? None. You have been absolutely solidly set into the family of God. I have chosen you and not rejected you. That's what he says in Isaiah 41. That's what he says through the New Testament. So this is the basis for Isaiah 41 verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will, up, I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the God who speaks these words to us. Um, and because of that, because of that, he is expecting us to take these words and not be afraid. Not be afraid. So what might we have to do? Go ahead, Christian. Mm. What do you mean? What about him? I have no idea, but I certainly wouldn't want to be in that place. I have no idea, but God knows. God is the one who did the born again. God is the one who did the adopting. And God is the one who did the giving the spirit. Right? He did all of that. So how that person can walk away having had all of that how he can do that I have no clue but God knows I don't know if it's possible to walk away after all of that I don't know if it's possible 
but one thing I do know is God says, if those things have happened, you are chosen and not rejected. I don't know how that works, but I trust it to be true. Sorry, Linda, just one second. You're looking on at that person from your human standpoint and saying, well, he was really full on for the Lord. He was doing this and doing that. He was on fire. But that may not have been a real fire burning. I don't know. Mm. Yes, that's right. That's right. If it was. But who knows? Only God. That's what I'm saying. Mm. You do, please, please, Linda. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That's not true. No, that's not true. This is the problem with this. This is the problem that the ramifications of a person who looked like they were on fire and who isn't on fire starts to have a bearing on my salvation. Can I possibly lose my salvation? And and does everybody walk a different path? Yes and no. Um, yes, your life will be totally different to mine. Um, but we all walk. Jesus said, "I am the way." I am the way. So we all walk the highway of holiness or we walk with Jesus. And that's what I meant because we all come to Jesus at different times. Yeah. As long as we get there. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. As long as we get to Jesus. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, that, that is all that matters. Sorry, Julia. I thought you were talking about different paths, ways to... Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I do. Th- I, I think, and, and I'm sure Linda's not talking about that. She's, she's basically saying we have to leave things to God, and that's what yes. Jesus was saying. We must leave things to God, and I do agree with that too. But the problem is the bearing it has on our own thinking and the truth, because we start to then doubt the truth. You, you said, Chris, you know that, but but surely He won't take His spirit. <coughs> but the basic bottom line is God can do anything at any time and it will always be right. So... We were talking about this um, in a meeting the other week and... Um, speak up, please? Sorry, and people were saying that say if somebody dies, um, say a little child or an adult and they've not been brought to God, mm. would God have mercy on them if they've not had that opportunity? Mm-hmm. And there was a canon there from the Church of England Mm-hmm. Uh, he said well first of all children reach an age of what we call accountability um, 
children who, well, first of all, no, actually, first of all, the bottom line is, is God more merciful, more forgiving, more loving than you? Absolutely. Would you trust God with every single person you've ever loved in the world to do the right thing? Yes. So that's the thing. That's the basic. God knows everybody. He, he will no, ever, never do anything wrong. It's always right. Um, so that's like in those situations where we don't know, we have to leave that to God. But the, basically, it, we're, what we're saying is, is there a person living that God would not have real, revealed himself to? Yes, I think everybody knows about God because Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that he made himself known in, in creation and he made himself known within. It might be possible that there is a person living somewhere in the world who has never heard the name of Jesus. That might be possible. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What does the Bible tell you about a person who has never heard the name of Jesus? He does, but yes, so let's, say, let's say we didn't get round to that, that tribe in the middle of the Amazon jungle. What, what's the truth? Yes, yes. Mm, so that's enough, is it? That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying, Christian. Yes, we don't know how God does it, but we know that God is just and fair and right and loving and holy. Therefore, if a person truly wants God and the only way to God is through Jesus, then that person will hear at some stage, in some way, the name of Jesus. They will understand. And it's actually, does it really matter whether they hear Jesus or whether they hear, you need saving because you're a sinner and all the worship you do of me, that's all great. You lift up your hands when the sun's shining and the rain's falling and you've got good crops. That's wonderful. But you're still a sinner who needs a saviour. It's that. That's the name of Jesus. You are a sinner who needs a saviour. And God can only save you. Yes. 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 Um, you started this, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah. Um, so he's your God. So what will what happens to you when you read over these verses and you start to think about them and you apply them to your life? What does God know will happen to a believer? You'll be strengthened. You'll be strengthened because you'll know God better. So, where are you in your life today? Where are you? What's going on in your life? What is going on in your life and how can you know God better? Yeah, you have to be in his word. And not only do you have to be in his word, you have to be believing his word. So that means that you might have to be in his word every day. That might mean you have to be in his word three times a day. More. <laughs> you need to, to know God. You need to be in his word. Okay, but... Apart from that, what else is happening? I mean, apart from God telling you who he is in his word and showing you um, the truth about him so that you're not afraid, what else is going on right now? Because it's not all about you, not all about you reading the word, not all about, you know, what else is going on right now, this moment? Going on for Christian, going on for Suzanne, going on for Rosie. What is going on? Yeah, what else? What else is going on? Right now, this moment, what is going on? 
No, see, you're no. Think back to the first week. What is going on? What has God already done? No, 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 no. What is going on right now is that Jesus is standing at the right hands of God praying for you. Praying for you. He is interceding for you. So, you don't read your Bible enough. Nobody here does. You don't. You don't pray enough. You don't know how to pray properly. You always get it wrong. That's just the case, right? If your circumstances, if your peace, your joy, your happiness, your anything depended on you, you would be in dire straits all the time. So, God knows that, right? Because he's God. So, how does he manage to be transforming people who are completely outside of wanting to be transformed most of the time? Because he is praying and interceding. You see, the disciples obeyed Jesus in the boat. They got in the boat and they went across the lake. They did obey. They'd seen the miracle of feeding 5,000. They knew who, you know, wow, look at this guy. Look at who he is. Get in the boat. We better do what he says. And they get in the boat and the storm comes. And then they start to, what's going on? What's going on? So Jesus comes to them. He comes to them because he does what they can't do. So now you can't pray enough. You can't live right enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't do any of it enough because you are a complete and utter whatever. But, but he does it for you. He stands at the right hand of God and he intercedes for you. You must believe that truth as much as you believe that he is your strength. He will uphold you. All of those things, that he is the ruler and the creator and the sustainer of all things, that he is in charge of all history, that he is God most high. You have to truly believe in your heart that he is praying for you right now. Because you can't pray enough prayers. <coughs> you can't pray enough prayers. You can't say enough right things. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't study enough. You can't know God enough, Chris. You just can't know him enough. You can't even know him beyond a certain level. But God knows you. He knows you. And he is praying for you. And those two things... Our filling our minds and our hearts and our will with the truth of who God is has to go alongside of him praying for us, holding up our hands, doing what only God can do. It has to be held together. Otherwise, you're going to live in a terrible state, aren't you? Because you know yourself too well. Yeah. I think actually this helps you to see that that's okay. Exactly. 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 It is. No. It is. That's the thing. You see, it's both, isn't it? And and actually at the end of that wonderful chapter, those thirteen verses in Ephesians where Paul says, you know, you you've been chosen and it's all to the praise of his glory. Anthea, you said that. You said about the praise of his glory. And that's exactly it. It's all to the praise of the glory of God. And God has done that for you. And right at the end of that chapter, he says, I am praying for you that you would know the surpassing great power that is at work towards you. 
because you can read all of that stuff and you can know that in your mind and you can pray about it. But the day comes all too often when you don't have the strength to do it, when you can't do it. And if, if you hear in that day, well, you've got to do it, you've got to read your Bible, you've got to do this, you've got to pray, you've got to, do, you've got to know these things about God, you know, that sets us up for failure. So we have to know alongside that, that God is at work. He's at work. In Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us. That we can come boldly to his throne of grace to find help in our time of need. But also, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that even when you don't, his surpassing great power is at work towards you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Um, I love this prayer. Um, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, I want us to be absolutely sure we totally understand these verses. You ha- God's surpassing great power is at work towards those who believe, whether or not they know it. It's not dependent on you knowing it. What Paul's saying is, I'm praying that you will know this. Not that it will happen, but that you will know it's happening. That you will know the hope of his calling. Not because you need to know it so that there is a hope of your calling, but that there is a hope of your calling and that knowing it will fill you with joy and peace and all of that. Do you see what I mean? So it's not about you. Even that's not about you. You don't have to know these things in order to be a person who is experiencing these things. God is at work towards you. But if you know it, it changes the way you look at every detail of your life. If you know that he is at work towards you, Kim, in the darkest places, you can hold on to that truth. I know that even though I can't do anything, I can't even pick up my Bible, I can't pray, I can't even speak, but God, you are at work towards me. Do you see what I mean? It's like knowing these things is what's important, is how that would, no, that's not important. The thing itself is the important thing, but knowing it changes the way you deal with your life. And that's what Paul wants us to know. He wants us to know the truth. That's what Isaiah, that's why God wrote to Isaiah. He wanted him to know wanted the people of Israel to know that this is their God. This is the God who was going to do this. Mm. Ephesians 1, 15, 15 to 19. Um, 
And he's going to continue here. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. These are all facts. They are facts. And what Paul's praying is that you would know and experience the reality of these facts. Because in that, you will be made free. You'll be made free from fear. You'll be made free from anxiety. You will be made free to live with peace and joy. You will be enabled to do that in situations and circumstances that you have no that would that would cause people to think how can she possibly how can he possibly have peace in this situation so yeah mm. Oh, strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah. My grandchildren know that, and they go around my house singing it. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Yeah, there's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah. Or else they'll say, Nana, who's the boss in this house? Who's the boss? And I'll say, whatever, you know, if I'm kind, I'll say, Pops. My husband. And if not, I shall say, Nana's always the boss in this house. And they say, No, 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 you're not the boss, nor is Pops. God is the boss. God is the boss. Actually, it's Jesus is the boss. Yeah. Jesus is the boss. Yeah. So, anyway, thank you, Maureen. <laughs> so, um, Paul prays that in that prayer, he prays that they would know these things. So I want you to tell me some things that you know, that you trust in your innermost being, is ha- that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that is going on in your life. I want you to tell me some things that is true. Hmm. Mm. Right. God always speaks. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What else? He answers prayer. Yeah. He answers prayer. Right. Someone's, uh, just for the recording, 
um, someone's just said that she felt God's hand on her shoulder when her father, uh, her husband died, so he, she knew God was with her. Someone else has just said that he uses people around. I know that he uses people around me to um, tell me about himself, presumably. Uh, what else do you know? And he answers prayers in strange ways. Mm. He answers prayers in a strange way. Give me some things that you know from Scripture is happening right now to you, right now, this minute. Hmm? Yeah, he's interceding for you. What else? Just come on from memory. You know the Scriptures. You've been studying a long time. No, it's true. Yeah, it's true and it's real. Uh, make it uh, just, you know, so for example, Second Corinthians 3.18 tells you something. It tells you that as you behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Well, what do you think you've been doing this morning? You've been beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. You have been filling your mind with the truth of God so that you know him more and are able to manifest him more. What do you think God will do with that? He will enable you to know him more and manifest him more. Therefore, you are being right now changed from glory to glory. You are. That is happening to you right now. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Romans tw- uh, eight twenty eight. What else is happening? What else is happening? That's Romans eight twenty eight. It is. It is. There you go. Oh, wow, amazing. Romans eight twenty eight. Linda said she didn't know the verse, but she knows. She, she knows this, and that was Romans 8:28. For I am convinced that God works all. Th- God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Are you called according to the purpose of God? Do you love Him? Then He is causing every single thing to work together for your good. For your good. Um. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, I started with this one. What, what do you know for sure is happening to you right now in your life? Yeah, you're getting closer to him. Closer to going home, definitely. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, talk about the fact that God is protecting us through faith that the power of God is protecting us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, if necessary, you are distressed with various trials. So you are being distressed with various trials. In this room, we have every manner of trial going on. And we are distressed by them, either 
personally or because we know people who are. We are distressed by them. But God's promise is you are being protected. My power is protecting you, ready for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. What is the salvation that will be revealed in the last time? Because I thought you were already saved. Glory, glory. There are three parts to your salvation. There's, there's uh, justification. Just as if you never sinned, you are saved, you are justified. You stand innocent before the Lord because you stand in Christ Jesus. You are being sanctified right now. So justification is past tense. Sanctification is going on right now. Second Corinthians chapter 3.18. You are, as you look at the word of God, you are being transformed into the image of Christ. That is sanctification. But there is coming a day when you will be glorified, when you will look like him physically as well as spiritually, you will be just like him. You will be glorified. So that's what he's talking about in First Peter chapter 1. He's saying, my power is protecting you. The channel through which my power comes to you is faith. Faith is the channel through which I protect you, through which you receive the blessings of God. And all of that is going to be revealed fully at your glorification and at the present, when you are in finally in the personal presence of God. <coughs> so God is protecting you. What else is he doing? Come on, come on. What else is he doing? Be specific and hang it on scriptures because that's where we've got to hang everything. There you go. Yes, yes. There you go. Mm. 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 You're experiencing that then, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Right, so you're experiencing peace. How is that peace coming to you? That peace is coming to you through the God who is peace, who lives within you. He is doing that. He's giving you himself and he is peace. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is peace. And the more you know him, the more peace you have. My peace I leave to you, Jesus says, not as the world leaves, but, but mine. Well, what else? So joy, tell me about joy then. I want only experiencing, what, are you, what is God actually doing right now? What's he doing? You may not be experiencing it, I suppose, but what is he doing? Mm. And just to know that he cares mm. and he's, he's good in everything. Mm. So all of these truths are just filled with joy. Yeah. I have it. Yeah. What would it be like not to? Yeah. I, I guess I have that. And I also always have questions. Mm. I'm the type that just has questions. Mm. I know. Mm. What do you do with the questions? I just pray about it. I don't remember. Well, I, or I turn to Linda and say, well, I'm not in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, how would you deal with the questions if if you could? How would you, well? You, I think praying about them probably is one of the best things you might do. So, right. And what do they say? Oh, in the in the Bible study, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I have to imagine thoughts like a you know with like they're coming at me like Have you ever been to a, a 
a baseball range. You probably haven't, but in Japan, they have places you can go and you can put your yen, 100 yen coin in the slot and stand there with your baseball bat and the balls will be shot at you. You can determine the speed, you know, and uh, then you just have to hit them. You know, and they come one after the other, one after the other. Sometimes my thoughts are like that, and I have that picture that, you know, I have to spat them away. And the bat is the word of God. It's the word of God. And that's the only way I can deal with those thoughts. I have hundreds, thousands of those thoughts, Maureen. And I have to bat them away all the time with the word of God. And uh, that's the way I build my own. I, I clean out my channel of faith by batting. Yeah. Yeah. What else is happening? Jude... Verse 1. Go ahead, Andrew. Yes. Praise God. Yeah, yeah. So you thank him for all the things you know that are true in you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Jude, verse 1, tells you some things. What is happening right now? What is God doing right now? Hey, transforming us, yeah. Jude 1, verse 1. He's keeping you. Yes, he's keeping you. You are beloved, you are the called of Jesus Christ, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You are being kept right now. What does the word kept mean? It's like a kept woman. So what does that mean? Looked after, protected, preserved. That word keep means watched over, guarded. Jude 1. Watched over, guarded, protected, preserved. That's happening right now. Right now, God is doing that for you and for me. That's the bat. It's the bat, yes. That's the bat. So why would I need to know that God is preserving me and guarding me and protecting me and watching over me? Why is that important for me to know? So that I can carry on through the specific circumstances of my life. So that when the giant standing in front of me, I can say, my God is bigger than you. We, we did Philippians, didn't we? Someone read Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. Someone go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. Okay, that's who the God that we serve and know and love and that's, that's who God is. That's, that's our Father. 
Now, that God is greater than your situation. He's greater than that. He's greater than the, the circumstances that you are in at the moment. And quite honestly, he's greater than your personality. You have things about yourself you don't like. Well, if, if you're like me, you do. I have lots of things about my personality I don't like. But he's bigger than them. My personality is, is just who I am, but his, my character is what he's forming. God is bigger than my circumstances. He's bigger than my situation. He is greater than my personality. He is more bigger and huger and greater than your family line. He is bigger than your family, bigger than where you came from, bigger than where you were, greater than all of your ancestors. He's bigger than that. He's greater than um, your enemies. He's bigger than the things you fear. There's nothing that you fear that he is not bigger than. I mean, you could go through and make a long list. All the things that God is greater than. He's greater than your history. He's greater than your present. He's greater than the circumstances you face. He is greater than the obstacles in your way. He is greater than the uh, opposition from your family or from your friends or those about you. He is greater than any giant that is in your path. He is greater than those things. Much bigger. Much greater. And that is the God who says, do not be afraid for I am with you you. I am with you. Father, I want to thank you that these things are true about you and uh, I thank you so much that you tell us about these things and thank you that you are protecting me. Whether or not I know it, I am being protected by your power through faith and that I am being kept and guarded and I am, I am part of a group called the called. I am chosen to be holy and blameless. I am predestined in love to adoption as your son, your daughter. I am all of those things because you are and because you have promised. And whether or not I understand all of them and whether I actually experience all of them, that does not mean that that is not true. Thank you too, though, Lord, that you want me to experience these things because it's as I experience them, that I, as I experience them, as I experience you, that you will come to me and I will know peace. We're talking, Lord, as you know, about peace in a shaking world. This world is shaking. Our circumstances are looming large, Lord, and we, we don't know how to deal with them. But you are a God who is bigger. Help us to focus on that, Lord. <coughs> Help us to come to you in your word and through prayer and just to rest in the truth that you are God and we belong to you. So I, I praise you, Lord. I thank you that you are a God who speaks and who tells us these things. And I, um, I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.